you can binge watch the death of the GOP. Apparently so. Every day, you can binge listen right here, I guess. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. And there's no place I'd rather be. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And coast to coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices channel, where it is streaming, along with the Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. Glad you could join us. For another uh, thrilling, action-packed adventure, we like to call the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, and muckraker from bradblog.com. We will speak uh, in a few minutes with the filmmaker of the new documentary, The Brainwashing of My Dad, the truth behind the right-wing media machine that changed a father and divided the nation. Uh, for those of you, by the way, who will recognize, I suspect, Jen Senko's story uh, about her uh, once progressive father who became an enraged right winger. Uh, perhaps a better subtitle for this film would be You Are Not Alone. Might make you feel better. Uh, anyway, we'll talk to uh, Jen Senko momentarily. Uh, in the meantime... The quixotic, is that what it is, Desi? Quixotic or kicksotic? You know, I don't actually know. I've never actually know? said it out loud oh, before. Right. <laughs> I think that's it's quixotic. Quixotic. All right. Uh, that's Desi Doyen, our producer. Good day. Thank you. Good day to you, too. Uh, the quixotic or kicksotic search for a Trump alternative continues following his big win of uh, four of five big states on Tuesday in Florida and North Carolina and Illinois and maybe, perhaps, in Missouri, which we can never know whether Donald Trump won. Similarly, we can never know if uh, Hillary Clinton won for reasons that I explained on yesterday's program in great detail. Uh, it has to do with how close the margin uh, between Sanders and uh, Clinton was and the how close the margin was between Trump and Cruz, both of them in Missouri, and the fact that so many votes in my old home state of Missouri are cast on 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. So we can never actually know who won. That said, just before air, Bernie Sanders... Uh, as I suggested, he, he would uh, most likely on, on yesterday's program. He has now conceded the Democratic presidential primary in Missouri because, in truth, uh, I believe, as of yesterday anyway, I haven't checked the numbers again today, he actually won one more delegate than Hillary Clinton despite 
the reported uh, voting results showing that she received more votes than him, barely, by uh, something less than 1,500. But because uh, Bernie had one more delegate, and no matter how any kind of recount, which would be impossible given those touchscreens, no matter how that came out, uh, they would still generally split the delegates down the middle because the way the de- uh, the Democrats uh, proportionately apportion their delegates. But uh, anyway, I was actually talking about the Trump alternative before I got uh, dragged away there. The uh, the search for that uh, alternative continues. Uh, Donald Trump won four of the five states that were up. Uh, the one that he, we know that Donald Trump did not win is Ohio, where Governor John Kasich of Ohio won his first and only state. He announced he was uh, then somehow going to win the nomination, said uh, John Kasich in his victory speech. It's magical, his plans. We don't know how it could possibly happen. Here's Stephen Colbert last night describing the odds of John Kasich somehow winning enough delegates to take the Republican nomination for president. To secure the nomination at the convention in Cleveland this summer, Kasich would have to get 116% of the remaining delegates. We'd have to make him governor of every remaining state, plus some states we don't even have yet. He's looking very good in North Kentucksylvania <laughs> and Massachusetts. <laughs> Oh, they love him down in Massachusetts. <laughs> no, Massachusetts, which fought on both sides of the wall between the states. We are so proud of both our crawdads and our chowder. <laughs> Massachusetts will rise again. Yeah. So uh, that's the uh, that's a possibility of uh, Kasich somehow winning the delegates needed to take the convention. Uh, but of course, uh, the only person who could actually possibly mathematically win enough delegates to actually clinch the nomination, uh, as opposed to in a contested convention, uh, would be Ted Cruz. I would invite you to join us, to come together. We welcome you with open arms. Come join us. We welcome you with open arms. We would welcome you to our team. We would welcome you with open arms. We welcome you to our teams. We welcome you with open and welcoming arms. (laughs) Yes, come. Yes, come. Don't resist, children. I welcome you with open arms. Shh, no, shh. Here. Have some butterscotch. I'm your father now. It's hilarious that everybody finds him as creepy as I do. Yeah, he is cool. People who know Ted Cruz find him that creepy. They were the people who work with him uh, hate him. Uh, in any event, uh, yeah, he is the only mathematical alternative to to, uh, to Donald Trump, at least barring a uh, an, a brokered, a contested, an open convention, whatever it is the Republicans decide they want to call it. So. Uh, there will be an effort, obviously, to to try to see, to try to help Ted Cruz somehow beat Donald Trump in the remaining states over the next few weeks and months. But it's it's incredible that we're at a point where we're looking at Ted Cruz as the what reasonable alternative to Donald Trump today. It was announced that uh, Frank Gaffney. Does do you know Frank Gaffney? The name sounds okay. familiar, but he's, escapes. He's the prominent anti-Muslim activist and former Ronald Reagan administration official uh, that is now set to join Ted Cruz's campaign national security national security advisor team. 
Now, you might say, well, he was with the Reagan administration. He must be qualified. Uh, well, uh, he and other members of uh, this think tank that he has called Center for Security Policy will now be joining uh, with Cruz on their national security team, according to uh, Bloomberg News. Gaffney is one of the leading, one of the nation's leading, one of the right wing leading proponents of the notion that there is an existential threat from creeping Sharia, creeping Sharia law under uh, President Obama. He's known for his extreme anti-Muslim statements and his activism. For example, um, he has insisted that the Obama administration officials, uh, including uh, what's her name, Huma Abedin, she's a long-serving aide to Hillary Clinton, that uh, under Obama, the Muslim Brotherhood has been infiltrating the U.S. government. That's just one of the things that Frank Gaffney has been out there saying. He argued in a series of 2010 columns that U.S. Supreme Court Justice Elena Kagan who was the dean of Harvard Law School at the time, that she was trying to inject Islamic Sharia law into the country's financial system. He alleged that she was a cog in the, quote, stealth jihad machine helping the Muslim Brotherhood dismantle American capitalism from within. And this is the guy who's going to be the foreign policy advisor for Ted Ted Cruz. Cruz, the sane, not Donald Trump guy, if the Republicans can figure out how to pull it off. He was Gaffney is is so insane himself. He has been banned from CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference. He was banned in 2010 after he accused uh, some of the organizers board members, including Grover Norquist, the uh, the anti-tax maven. Uh, of being, a, they accused him, accused Norquist of being an agent of the Muslim Brotherhood. Oh my. So that's who this guy is. Uh, he's also propagated birther conspiracy theories against uh, Obama. He uh, suggested Obama is secretly a practicing Muslim because he once referred to, quote, the Holy Quran. Uh, But you may remember this one, Des. Uh, Gaffney was the one who came up with the theory back in 2010 about the logo used by the Pentagon's Missile Defense Agency. You remember that? Yeah. He said it appears ominously to reflect a morphing of the Islamic crescent and star with the Obama campaign logo. Remember that? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It turns out that uh, he had to walk back that one uh, after he learned that the agency's uh, the missile defense agency's rebranding efforts with that new logo were actually contract contracted to happen during the Bush administration. Oh, then it was okay. So, well, no, it means that it couldn't have been Obama as a secret Muslim with his secret logo. and, And anyway, that's Frank Gaffney. He's joining the uh, <laughs> the Ted Cruz campaign, and he's the sane alternative. Well, if Cruz can't beat Donald Trump, and he can't, as far as I can tell, then we do go to that brokered contested convention in Cleveland this July. Here's what uh, here's what Stephen Colbert had to say about that. If Ted Cruz is right, if every single anti-Trump voter unites behind him, he could get enough delegates to be the nominee then the GOP establishment can say, goodbye, candidate we don't like. Hello, candidate, we can't stand. <laughs> but if Cruz can't do it, there's one other way to deny Trump the nomination, a brokered convention. You see, when a candidate wins a primary, he really wins delegates who are committed to him at the party convention, but only for the first ballot. So if Donald Trump doesn't get 
1,237 delegates in the first round of voting. They're all free to vote for whoever. This is great news. The Republican campaign could start all over again, only this time it's crammed into one week. You can binge watch the death of the GOP. Yeah. So that's what we're getting ready for. July, by the way, I think it's over my birthday. My birthday gift is the uh, contested convention in in Cleveland on the Republican side. Happy birthday. Yeah, I know, right? Brother, um, speaking of uh, the death of the GOP, the uh, we're already getting a look today at how uh, Barack Obama's strategy of naming the quite moderate D.C. appeals court judge, uh, chief judge Merrick Garland, is now playing out uh, rather extraordinary. Uh, you know, Orrin Hatch, who used to be, I think he was the head of the Senate. Judiciary Committee that would have uh, that would need to hold the hearings, the confirmation hearings for any Supreme Court justice. Um, Hatch is getting a bit doddering, it seems to me, in his old age. And he was on Fox Business News, Fox News, Fox Business News, of all places, uh, with Neil Cavuto, who just frankly hammered him on this and i think this is exactly what uh, obama was hoping for was counting for when he named this uh much older than usual supreme court justice nominee uh garland also much more moderate i mean this guy could not be any more moderate without being slightly to the right He's, you know, beloved by democrats and republicans alike uh, orin hatch himself has had told Obama some years ago that, hey, if you nominate Merrick Garland, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give him a thumbs up right away. We'd be happy to have him. So Obama took up the dare and actually nominated Merrick Garland uh, following the death of uh, Antonin Scalia just over a month ago in the wake of Republicans saying, well, we are not going to allow anybody. We are not going to allow this president to nominate anybody. Not only is he not allowed to nominate that we're not even going to hold hearings on him. Well, I think the idea that Obama was getting at was was played out, as I say, on Fox Business News today when Orrin Hatch had to answer to Neil Cavuto. I want to play this extended clip because uh, Hatch had nowhere to go. And here was Neil Cavuto, Fox News, of all people, uh, hammering him about their failure their failure to even hold hearings. I mean, if they were smart, I don't understand why they don't just, you know, pretend, you know, have hearings and then vote against them. But no, they said they won't even have hearings. And this is not working out well for them already on less than 24 hours after Obama uh, announced Merrick Garland as his nominee. Before I get to Orrin Hatch today, I want you to take a listen to this Orrin Hatch in 1997. Yeah, I blame Mr. Garland as a fine nominee. I know him personally, I know of his integrity, I know of his legal ability, I know of his honesty, I know of his acumen, and he belongs on the court. All right, Orrin Hatch with him right now. Um, Senator, what changed? Nothing except 19 years, and, and the <laughs> fact was that was, that was that was a nomination to the Circuit Court of Appeals, which is a very high court in our country, but it's not the Supreme Court. The, the difference between that and the Supreme Court is the Supreme Court really can make the law. It can, it can interpret the Constitution, uh, you know, any way they want to, and some think they can make the Constitution into well, well, what no they doubt, want but, to. It, but, but fast forward some years later, sir, 13 years later, in 2010, you were talking about uh, Judge Garland saying that I have no doubt 
that Garland would get a lot of Senate votes. This is when he was among those being considered for the Supreme Court, and I will do my best to help him get them. Well, I cleared the way for Mary Garland. I still think very highly of him. Now, I'll be honest with you, I haven't read uh, a lot of his cases in the recent years, and, and, and that, that becomes a, a must before any of these things can happen. But I still have a very high opinion of him, and, mm -hmm. and, uh, but I do think that we should not bring up a Supreme Court justice and get in this big mess again, wrecking the court, uh, you know, during wrecking this really court? toxic presidential year and that really bothers me frankly this is a, this is a serious important thing and it ought to be put off out of this toxic arena right now and put off to after the election and then whoever is president can make that determination okay, pause, it, pause it there for a second okay wrecking the court i just wanted to highlight that having a nomination getting the ninth justice on the supreme court is somehow wrecking well, wrecking of course, the court i think he means wrecking the conservative the majority, right majority. Court, exactly yeah. that's what he means and that's what of course all of this is about go, go press on good for fair good. to both sides what if it is hillary clinton or bernie sanders who become president do you well, think republicans will rule the day that they missed a chance at a moderate pick for the court because either one of those folks would probably pick someone a little bit more to the left well, this is the most important issue in this presidential campaign, and it's a big reason why people should vote re for the Republican nominee, whoever that may be, because uh, the, the next president is going to probably have somewhere between three and four uh, judicial picks on the Supreme Court, and they could, uh, that could turn the whole Constitution around in, in accordance with some of these activist uh, uh, liberal Democrat judges that uh, judges. just don't seem to worry too much about what the Constitution says. Okay. Yeah, Merrick is not an activist judge, uh, but Antonin Scalia was. Anyway, keep going. Senator, I understand what you're saying, sir, and I appreciate the, you know, it's a crazy election year and all, but by that reasoning, nothing would ever get done in election year because it's a toxic environment and true to form nothing really does get done on budget matters on legislative matters why should republicans play that game that is notoriously played out in election years and say no we're going to be different we're going to in this environment weigh the president's choices come up with budgets come up with legislation do the kind of stuff that cynics don't think we can and if you don't like this we, nominee we? vote him down well it isn't it isn't quite that simple joe biden made it very clear when he talked a year and a half uh, that uh, before the election that you should not be putting people up during a presidential election why? there's good why? reason for that why because it's a toxic environment it demeans the court people then be, make the court into the a court. politicized institution rather it's than always one politicized that, that senator it's always politicized things. and by that Matthew, you would well, just rule out the last that. year of any of any congress of 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 any senator of any president are getting stuff done you could send a powerful signal by saying, you know what, we're going to hold the hearings, we don't like the guy, we're going to vote him down. But we know the Democrats have played these games. We know we in the past have played these games. We're not going to play uh, these games. We're sending a powerful signal, a signal that once voting has started in a presidential election campaign and that particular toxic environment, especially the one we have today that is very toxic, we should not be bringing up a Supreme Court nomination. But you know, Senator, how early these campaign years start, earlier and earlier and earlier. By that math, well, you could argue a year ago that you shouldn't have started this. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That it gets out of control. I'm talking about a presidential year. This is, uh, you know, we all know the president's a lame duck president. And there's a question whether a lame duck president during a 
a really toxic year like this to be nominating. When does he become a lame duck, Senator? When do you think it is? Is it the last year? Because that's a that's a long time. When it comes when it comes to the Supreme Court, yes. Because let me tell you something, and especially this year, I've never seen such a toxic year and such a horrific year as we have right now. And these Supreme Court nominations shouldn't be great big. Uh, great big battles every time you, uh, a president picks somebody. And the president ought to be very careful to pick people, that whoever the president is, that literally will do the job and, and not allow politics to take over. That's who he picked! That's Unless, of course, it's in an election year, then he shouldn't do anything. Right. Uh, who if made it toxic in the first place? He picked someone who is anything but an activist jurist. You would subscribe to that important. senator if it's a Republican president gets in. The last year he's in office... He submits a name. You, as a Republican and a prominent one of that, would tell him, "No, we can't consider it." Well, I think we would. I mean, we—I've actually well, advised presidents not to do, do uh-huh. that. But we, sure. for, unfortunately, we haven't had any any late uh, situations where somebody's been put up, there other than Justice Kennedy. Yeah, and that other was than after that, they had smeared other Bob than that, Bork, 1988 and, and under Reagan. And Nevertheless, other than that one time, of, it's never of, happened. Ronald Reagan's presidency. Well, but uh, everybody just kind of gave up. At I that understand point. that, but there is precedent. Yeah, there's precedent, but it wasn't a toxic year like this. Nor was nor was it uh, nor was it a year where where uh, people are all up in arms about everything. And and frankly, that's what bothers me. I'm tired Your of the court people being are up in arms. And this is this is politicizing the court during this. Well, no, no offense, year. Senator. I mean, you've played a part in politicizing it. Maybe that wasn't your no, goal. I don't think so. But both I parties don't think do so. this, and I think it would be interesting to see a guy like you who's widely respected. Both sides of the aisle say, you know what, I've had enough of this nonsense. Let's do this. <laughs> well, I've, ha- I've had enough of the nonsense that's occurred in some of these past uh, uh, pa- past processes. And they right. occurred not in a presidential year where voting had already started and half the, half the uh, voting is over. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, uh, th- this is not the way to do Supreme Court nominations and frankly it isn't the person it isn't the person that that uh, we're against it's this system that really doesn't work well you mean that constitutional system exactly yes the u.s (laughs) constitution that system's a problem and of course he says not the person uh you know yeah it is the person it's the fact that it's a democratic president and that was on fox news for crying out loud okay albeit fox business news but that's an indication, frankly, of how ill-conceived this Republican plan is. I really don't understand why they didn't just say, no, well, you know, we'll sure, we'll have hearings and then vote against them. Uh, in an up or down vote, just vote against them. So uh, the GOP, I think, is falling off its game, man, when you when you got to go when Fox News is coming at you that hard and Orrin Hatch is appearing like a, a, a doddering old boob. Uh, lame duck. Uh, Obama's a lame duck. Traditionally, a lame duck is after the election, after November, after you have a new president. And there's uh, only about a month and 20 days or so something, left. Exactly. Uh, but now lame duck that starts in the final year that starts. Uh, maybe it starts in the final two years after the 2012 election. Um, anyway, they're, they're off their game, uh, which is rare. Uh, amidst a the long steady rise of right wing media in this country and the GOP marching in lockstep along with that right wing media and of course taking the country down with it so we yeah we may have a toxic atmosphere right now that hardly seems to be due to uh, Obama or the Democrats I would argue that it is all due to the rise of right wing media in this country to gain power for Republicans at all costs. 
And that cost may be getting particularly high for the party right now, as we are seeing. Uh, but frankly, I would say it's been much higher for the country itself and for actual families. Families who, yes, have been torn apart by the decades-long rise of the right-wing media brainwashing machine. And yes, that is literally what it is, a brainwashing machine. We'll discuss that next with documentarian... Jen Sanko, right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so, now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time-only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. I don't think these are the type of mind games that John Lennon had in mind. At least I hope they aren't. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. In 1856, Abraham Lincoln said, Our government rests in public opinion. Whoever can change public opinion can change the government. That's a message uh, Republicans, at least, uh, after all, Abraham Lincoln, I guess he was a Republican. That's a message that Republicans have taken very seriously, particularly in the last several decades in this country. Uh, Say what you will about Democratic presidential frontrunner Hillary Clinton. There is one thing that she was dead right on. And frankly, as far as I'm concerned, has never received the full credit that she is due for having said it. The great story here for anybody willing to find it and write about it and explain it is this vast right-wing conspiracy that has been conspiring against my husband since the day he announced for president. That was Hillary Clinton back in 1998 on network television. And of course, the right endlessly mocked her for saying that. But of course, when your very real vast conspiracy has been called out publicly by, at the time, the First Lady of the United States on network television when you have been busted, frankly, hard and cold and publicly in the way that she did. Uh, When you are caught red-handed in a vast right-wing conspiracy that has been underway for years, even decades by that point, there is no actual defense other than to mock those charges. And luckily, that conspiracy involved the near-total control of our nation's media levers by that time, so it was pretty easy to convince everyone in America that, oh, it just wasn't true, that the, the charge was a joke. It was laughable what Hillary Clinton was saying. 
you could do it on virtually every media outlet in America by then. And it was as easy as as it was to charge that Al Gore claimed he invented the Internet, that lowering taxes on the richest Americans benefits the poorest Americans somehow, that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, that there's a massive voter fraud epidemic in America, that man-made climate change caused by the burning of fossil fuels is actually a hoax. That the Affordable Care Act to help millions of Americans obtain health insurance is actually a government takeover of the American health care system. I could go on and on. In fact, frankly, I have now for more than a decade on these very lies that are still sold day in and day out by that still very vast right wing conspiracy that, yes, has taken over our our public airwaves and frankly, with it, our public discourse. But perhaps worse than the lies and the wars and the destructive social policies that it has all wrought is the destruction of family relationships. And I know that a lot of people listening to me here uh, know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm quite sure we all have a relative or two or three who have bought into these horrible lies, uh, hook, line and sinker. And they've not only bought into it, they've become enraged by anyone who hasn't bought into it. Jen Senko's new documentary film, which opens this week in New York and Los Angeles and on video on demand via iTunes and elsewhere, is called The Brainwashing of My Dad. Here's how it begins. Once upon a time, there was an average American family living in an average American town. After the family moved, the father left his familiar carpool and began a long solo commute to work. And gradually he began to change. He looked the same. He dressed the same. But something was very different. But this isn't a story about just one man. It's the story about a media phenomenon that changed a father and divided a nation. Divided a nation, changed the world, and uh, def- divided millions of families around this country. Uh, here to talk about this uh, new film, I watched it last night, it's absolutely fascinating, is the filmmaker Jen Sanko. Uh, Jen, welcome to the broadcast. Oh, thank you, Brad. I'm happy to be here. Uh, so delighted to have you. Uh, you note in the film, and the, the film covers, you know, a lot of the material that we have covered uh, sort of day by day over so many years here on the Bradcast and bradblog.com. Uh, but the personal angle that you bring to this film, I, I found really, really fascinating. The personal angle, uh, you know, the video of your father, comments from him and so forth. Uh, you note in the film, uh, that the first time you noticed something about your dad ch- changing, he had been, a, a, I guess, a, a Democrat, uh, was after he picked you up uh, on, a, on a trip back home at some point. You drove past a Hooters restaurant, and he referred to uh, uh, complaints about those restaurants from those feminazis. And that, of course, is, is just straight out of Limbaugh, as they say. And when you responded to his point, he actually became outraged, you say, and threatened to pull over, let you th- hitchhike home. Uh, he was angry about all sorts of things that you didn't even know he knew or cared about. How long did it take you to realize that something real was going on here, that was going on with your father, that a real change ha- had actually occurred in his personality? I, 
I, th- I was beginning to, to realize it then, uh, just a couple of these examples. And I, I knew that there was something really wrong. And, um, you know, when he'd pick me up, he'd be playing um, Rush Limbaugh. And I just, I just, I felt like I saw the writing on the wall. I just, I sunk inside like, oh, no, this is the direction my dad's going in. This is... This is really bad, you know, and I didn't even realize like how bad it would get until it got that bad. <laughs> and, and did you realize before you made the film? And actually, let me, I, I want to play one more clip uh, uh, f- from the film here to sort of underscore this uh, about the idea that it wasn't just your dad, uh, but that it was a familiar story, and you weren't just po- disagreeing with him uh, politically. Other family members, uh, other members of your family and, and friends of your father, they're interviewed as well in the film. They talk about this change they saw in your father, the emails they started receiving from him, which I think is a familiar story to a lot of people. Uh, and we all have a, a Frank, your dad, I think, in our families now, it seems, uh, who started maybe with Limbaugh, the gateway drug uh, to Fox News. Uh, to the you know email forwarding that you document, uh, but when you started a Kickstarter to fund this film, people started sending in film uh, videos uh, talking about their own family. I want to play a few examples and and then get some thoughts from from you on this, Jen. Sure. They just drummed into her what they wanted her to hear. She's a completely different person. My brother became very fact resistant. My reaction was, "Who are you and what have you done with my stepfather?" Disjointed existence and he was completely changed he was he was bitter and angry at one point he threatened to get a bus because he became obsessed and she had never been like that he was carrying a small pistol she was not hateful shot twice broke my heart to see my parents very loving and caring i feel i don't really know these people Um, anymore i mean it just goes on this and my dad thought Reagan was the best guy in the world. And he was a Democrat. And somewhere in this Reagan-Bush change, he told me, well, I'm a Republican now. I realize how wrong I was all those years ago. And the only thing I could attribute the change to was his change in taste about uh, the news stories he watched. We used to watch Cronkite and Brinkley and Brokaw and what I consider sort of middle America, middle ground views. And later on, all he watched was Fox. That's from uh, Jen Sanko's The Brainwashing of My Dad. I'm speaking with Jen. Uh, Were you, I want to get into, you document the rise of right-wing media uh, and you speak with some fantastic experts on this, but uh, I still want to focus on the personal story. Were you surprised by the uh, by the comments or the amount of comments that you received, yeah. the, uh, the similarity to your oh, own story? Absolutely. Um, you know, at, at first, I just uh, I just thought I I knew that there. Ha- I mean, every once in a while, I would hear somebody say, "Oh, yeah, that happened to somebody I knew." You know, uh, just in, in in like personal day to day, you know, chats with people. Um, but when I started the Kickstarter campaign and we had 947 backers, um, just people just started like writing me every day, and with these 
heartbreaking stories about, um, you know, so-and-so in their family wouldn't speak to them anymore, um, or they couldn't talk about anything without them getting angry, or that um, some family member was buying, like, all these guns and ammunition, and mm. they couldn't talk to them. It was it was really shocking, and and um, that's when I realized like what a phenomenon it was. And it goes above and beyond, as I said, you know, political disagreement. It wasn't a matter that that you guys just saw things differently politically. No. There was a, a real phenomenon, a real anger, a real violence that you you document in the film. A hatred, sort yeah. of a hatred. You mm-hmm. know, whereas. Um, when I was growing up, Republicans and Democrats, you know, you had barbecues together, what, whatever. But then all of a sudden, these people that um, had turned, uh, if you will, or crossed over, um, they suddenly were, were hating Democrats and um, anything, anything Democratic and just doing whatever they could to... Um, try and make you realize, like, you know, you're evil for being a Democrat. So that was a problem, and it, it wasn't about just disagreeing. Plus, mm-hmm. I was acutely aware of all of the, the lies, the made-up stories mm-hmm. um, that were coming out, you know, like, they were obvious, like, some of them were obvious. They would just have different twists on them, you know, like uh, Obama snubbing a, well, this more recently, of course, mm-hmm. <clears throat> first it started with Clinton. If you look, they said the same things about Clinton as they say about Obama. Mm-hmm. They snubbed a soldier, you know, standing at a grave, whatever. Right. And there was just something really fishy about them. Like, how come they all have the same kind of tone? And, you know, you'd go look them up in Snopes, and then you'd find out that they were false. And then um, eventually, of course, then they started saying Snopes was, was, oh, Snopes, you can't trust that because it's left wing, (laughs) you know. Yeah. So that was the plan. It worked. Uh, And and the result uh, was, again, not just a a political change, but a personality change, as you document in your father. Uh, But... Listen, uh, Jen, the name of your film, The Brainwashing of My Dad, that brainwashing, that's a serious charge. That's a very (laughs) specific scientific thing, right? You feature uh, one expert who discusses the difference between brainwashing by force, like a a prisoner of war might face, versus brainwashing by stealth, I, I think she described it. Is this really brainwashing as you see it, uh, Jen, or is this just good, frankly, and, you know, convincing politics? Uh, And is there a difference, really, at this point? It's really uh, funny that you bring that up, because when I first named it that, and then Mm -hmm. I had people get involved with the film, like, they just loved the idea, they all were really warning me, like, you can't say brainwashing, that's just too volatile, it'll turn people off. And um, but yet everyone that was coming out of the woodwork that was um, responding like, oh, thank you for making this film. The title is what they related to. And so I I didn't even know at the time whether or not it was brainwashing. I just knew that that's what it felt like to me and that's what it felt like to them. And then I said my dad rather than my father because, you know, if you say brainwashing of my father, then it's more like scientific um, hard facts. So I just... I figured it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and I wanted to have, like, a throwback to the Red Scare movies. Mm -hmm. But I have to tell you, just um, 
recently, as I as I finished the film, I very slowly came to believe that yes, he was brainwashed and brainwashed by stealth. I mean, there was there's all the um, you know the factors uh, along the way that. Uh, Mm-hmm. You know. Well, one of your uh, experts outlines those factors, the five elements of brainwashing, uh, isolation, right. control, uncertainty, repetition, use of strong emotions. And then you document how uh, Rush Limbaugh, but really, you know, right wing media across the board and certainly Fox News really use all of those elements uh, to, to make their case over and over and over again. And that's the, I guess, the repetition part. Uh, you document the rise of, of right-wing radio, uh, Jen Sanko, not just uh, talk radio on Fox News, but right-wing think tanks, newsletters, uh, you know, schools, national daily talking points, an entire infrastructure that sort of came out of uh, you know, Goldwater in the 60s and the John Birch Society, and then how all of it really almost happened in plain sight in the in the beginning, you know, beginning in the 70s, but particularly in the 80s and, and 90s, right up through Hillary Clinton's uh, infamous remarks I played at the top. Where were the Democrats? Where was the Democratic Party? Uh, where were progressives? What was their response as this was going on? Did they just not understand it? Uh, were they intimidated by it? Or, or did they simply underestimate its its power and genius and and the power of our public airwaves to underscore all of this propaganda and brainwashing you think i i felt and of of course i don't have a you know statistical answer mm-hmm. but i believed at the time that the 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 democrats were intimidated and um also felt bullied and um but, you know it was it was it was such a brilliant um, attack that um, you know, but in the very beginning um, they decided that they would paint the the media as liberal. Mm-hmm. So much so that I was talking to someone on the radio the other day, and they kept saying liberal media. But <laughs> I said that how can the media in general be liberal when six corporations own the media? Mm-hmm. So um, I I believe that. And what Democrats. was the response? What what response did you get back from that person? It was just sort of vague, like um, <laughs> I see. Um, I, I, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> I was sort of skimmed over, but um, I do believe that they were intimidated and bullied, and I think I think of it like this because when I was younger, mm-hmm. really younger, I was bullied, so I put myself in the position of the Democrats. And you don't want to be wrong, you don't want to be bad, and if you have someone that's that outraged, you mm. think, well, maybe I am doing something wrong. Well, I'll give them a chance. Mm. And so, hence, the, the right, uh, they, it just kept leaning more and more right until you have someone like Bill Clint, uh, Clinton. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he would have gotten in if he was any more to mm-hmm. the left, because at that time, it was like a tidal wave, you know, the movement to the mm-hmm. right. Um, um, have, have, it, it was just very powerful and very well planned. And, and then also, too, I'm not going to, you know, absolve them completely, but I think they got a lot of Democrats did get caught up with this corporate, what, how would you put it, like um, 
well, bribery. In well, a way. yeah. I, I mean, I would say it was certainly it was Bill Clinton, for example, who pushed for the Telecommunications Act. Uh, you know, which which allowed all of those corporations to buy up all of our public airwaves and allow the Rush Limbaugh's, you know, across the nation. It wasn't just uh, Ronald Reagan's, uh, uh, you know, doing away with the fairness doctrine. The Democrats bought into it too, and and they're still buying into it, Jen. I still talk to them today and say, hey, mm-hmm. you know, it's outrageous. You documented it in the film, as a matter of fact. We, a, a friend of ours, uh, Sue Wilson, who I know you know, uh, made a film, uh, Broadcast Blues, and she documented yep. a few Brilliant. years ago. Yeah. Uh, Brilliant. A few years ago that, you know, 90% of the public uh, airwaves, 90% of the talk radio on public airwaves was uh, from right-wingers. 90% on our publicly... 97%. Well, that's what I was going to say. Later now, this is several (laughs) years later, now it's 97%, and this is on our public airwaves. We have to hold the Democrats accountable for allowing this to to happen, don't we? Yeah, uh, we do. I remember getting really, really mad at them, Mm -hmm. you know, like just shouting at the TV, wake up and smell the coffee, you know, or grow a pear. (laughs) Right. Have have you been speaking with anyone in that right wing media? Or have you been invited on radio outlets that uh, you know are are part of that vast right wing conspiracy? Uh, have they had you on to talk I about the? I think I had a little uh, hit job the other day. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I think somebody's uh, you know my PR person is kind of careful, mm-hmm. you know, to to she's watching out for that. But I think one slipped under the uh, radar. I, okay. <laughs> But uh, so so you're not going on a lot of because I mean, there are hundreds of those, you know, there's a handful yeah. of progressives like myself, but hundreds yeah. of right wingers out there. So yeah. good luck talking to them. Uh, but w- I don't know if I want to. Oh. I, I may, might be scared. <laughs> oh, take take it to them, Jen. Don't be scared of these people. That's exactly what they want. But, I know. But let, let me ask, why isn't this uh, playing the devil's advocate? Why isn't this good? actually, for democracy. Uh, after all, we've got uh, a more politically active electorate now. We've got a, a vibrant, small-D democratic debate, uh, you know, among the governed. Uh, listen, can't the case just be made that, hey, the Republicans, they're just better at getting out their message to the voters? What, what's the problem with that? Don't well, Democrats as, just need to up as, their game? As talented and as brilliant as they are, is getting out their message. There's... Um, you know, 90% of it is um, misinformation. So how could that possibly be democratic? People have to be informed correctly and objectively. You know, mm-hmm. um, this, fair, this notion of fair and balanced has really done us a lot of harm. The um, media used to focus more on objectivity, just getting the information out there. I mean, if you watch something on um, that's happening, like unfolding, mm-hmm. um, like, say, the terrorist attack that happened in San Bernardino, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was going back and forth between Fox and MSNBC watching it, and it was you would think that they were com- two completely different stories. Mm-hmm. But so when the electorate is, is mi- miseducated mm-hmm. and brainwashed, <laughs> to be blunt, mm-hmm. it, you don't have a democracy. You have, um, you have well, the mess. Well, okay. frankly, you have the mess that we have right now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> because that's it. I, well, I, I say that because 
Uh, you were you, you show at one point, and I suspect this is not an accident. You show a, uh, a, or maybe it is a happy accident. I don't know. You show a Ronald Reagan, I think it was a campaign brochure with the slogan, let's make America great again, which, of course, is Donald Trump's slogan without the word let's. Uh, you make the case that, uh, you know, virtually all of the hot button issues that are now discussed across the media are in no small uh, part thanks to the issues that the right-wing media cares about. What we talk about, our discourse, is what they want us to be talking about. So with that in, in mind, is it fair to say, after your years of work studying this issue uh, you know, to make this film, that without Rush Limbaugh uh, in the first place, it's highly unlikely we would have a Donald Trump uh, likely as our, our GOP uh, nominee for president of the United States? Is that a direct line as you see it? Well, um, are, are you saying also, uh, but with Fox News? Yeah. Cause oh, I, yeah. Uh, no, because, yeah, because they think Fox News created, you know, mostly mm -hmm. created Donald Trump and his followers. But I would say uh, without, without Fox and Rush Limbaugh, I don't think that Donald Trump would have happened. I mean, also just listen to his own views you know, from several mm -hmm. years ago, they were more mainstream. Um, and the country at one point was uh, almost all blue. Well, that was in 1964. But I think if news were told straight, we wouldn't be in this mess that we're in. I, I don't want to get... We wouldn't have a Donald Trump. Donald Trump is probably more intuitive than he is smart. I think that's probably mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, because he um, he just taps into... He knows he's hitting on something. He's tapping into... He probably doesn't understand exactly why it's working, but he mm -hmm. knows he's tapping into something. And he's, t he's like, repeating the phrases. He's tapping into the anger... Um, that these people have, and and they keep saying um, like, oh, people are angry because of the way the system's going. No, they're well, <laughs> they're angry because Fox News and uh, and right wing media, and uh, you know that includes emails, um, mm -hmm. think tanks, and so forth, have told them l lies. Right. No. Exactly. I, I don't want to uh, give away the ending here, but suffice to say, uh, the ending of your film is is quite encouraging. Uh, I had to start my own blog and radio program, I think, to keep my own parents from falling for the scam. But uh, how would you say that we can ultimately deprogram brainwashed America? Is that even possible? What, what's what's the answer here, uh, based on the people that you spoke to in in making uh, your film? Yeah, I I don't have all the answers to that certainly um but yeah i met up with this group here yourself think mm -hmm. um and they've figured out some of it um you know starting with deactivating the amygdala when wow. you talk to somebody you know because what happens when somebody is getting um all these messages that make them angry mm -hmm. their that part of their brain is like activated and rules out rational thought so mm. um or it makes rational thought not possible so you deactivate it with conversation i i i go to their website and check them out but i would say that um many people i know just give up and say oh i don't want to talk to that person i don't want to be around that person because they 
they, you know, they think this way. But I think once this message gets out into the air and into the country, you know, you might have two old ladies standing in line in a grocery store, and uh, a third says something about um, uh, Obama, like, being from Mars, and they'll say, oh, <laughs> you must have heard that from Fox News. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, things get out there. Um well, they do, and and you talk in the film. Uh, well, let me just put it this way: uh, there are some tips and tricks at the end of this film that uh, may have had an effect on your own father uh, or your own dad. I noticed you take a you take a a, a lesson from Frank Luntz yourself by not using father and using dad instead. But uh, <laughs> I, I, did, did last question, uh, Jen? Did did your dad uh, get to see the film at all or in part? And and if so, did did he ever give you any response to it? Uh, yes, he did get to see the film. Um, by telling you his reaction, I sort of uh, feel like I might give away the end of the okay. film. But. Well, he he, yeah. did, he was proud of me. Good. Uh, well, that's a happy enough ending for this uh, interview. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, and uh, and and a really, you don't want to miss the ending of this film either, uh, or the beginning for that matter. Uh, Jen Sanko's "The Brainwashing of My Dad: The Truth Behind the Right Wing Media Machine That Changed a Father." and divided the nation opening uh, this weekend in New York, L.A., and uh, video on demand everywhere, iTunes, Google Play, etc. Uh, Jen, really enjoyed the film. Thank you for making it, and enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you so much, Brad. It was great being with you. You bet. Good luck with all. Okay, a quick break, and we are back with more non-brainwashing Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. <laughs> My parents think Fox News is real I tried to explain but they just won't sit still All that jumping and shouting has put them off keel and my parents think Fox News is real Not my parents Well now Bill's not your They know and the five They know better friends. Right mom Right dad they hope. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We have uh, my thanks again to uh, Jen Senko. We've got just a minute or two here, uh, and I think uh, after this week, we could use a, a good news story. Here's one. For 20 years, Irish-American Amaya Gelman has been on the sidelines of New York's storied St. Paddy's Day parade every March, protesting instead of participating. But on Thursday, Gelman finally marched up Fifth Avenue. A year after a limited easing on, on the, uh, of the parade's prohibition on gay groups, organizers have now opened the lineup more broadly to include activists who, part, who protested the ban for years. Gelman, uh, who is 41, said this is a massive victory, according to AP. She had been repeatedly arrested at parade protests in the past, but this year she got to participate. The change stands to close a long chapter of controversy at the largest and oldest U.S. celebration of Irish heritage, says AP. Uh, and the parade uh, was broadcast live in Ireland and the U.K. for the first time this year. It goes back, its history goes back to 1762. 
Wow. Did you know that? No. And and, uh, it features about 200,000 marchers. And for years, organizers had said gay people could participate, but they couldn't carry signs or buttons celebrating their sexual identities. You know, everyone else can celebrate their identity, just not the gay people. Uh, Gay advocates, Irish gay advocates, sued in the early 90s, but judges said that parade organizers had a First Amendment right to choose participants in the event. And uh, over the years, activists have protested along the route. They have been arrested. Some politicians boycotted. Parade organizers opened a door finally to uh, gay groups last year by allowing a contingent from the parade sponsor, NBC Universal. That's who it took uh, to make this change, I guess. Uh, but critics saw that just that one exception as tokenism. Meanwhile, Boston's St. Patty's Day parade uh, ended a ban on gay groups that organizers had successfully defended at the Supreme Court. Uh, in the ensuing months after that, gay marriage became legal throughout U.S. and Ireland. Some longtime parade participants balked at the arrival of gay delegations. Bill Donahue of the Catholic League said it's contemptible, so he stopped marching last year. Oh, that's too bad. Isn't that sad? Yeah. Good. The gay people are in. Jerks like Bill Donahue and the Catholic League are out. Uh, Bill de Blasio, uh, the Democratic mayor of New York, he had boycotted uh, previously, but he was back on Thursday because of the new inclusiveness. And so is Gelman, who's an American uh, studies doctoral student. She met her bride Uh, actually, in protests some years ago at the parade. She's the great-granddaughter of Irish immigrants. She's a member of Irish Queers, a group uh, that marched with the Lavender and Green Alliance in this week's St. Patrick's Day parade. She marched with her partner, whose birthday happens to be on St. Patrick's Day. Oh, that's sweet. Isn't that nice? See, a sweet story. The broadcast, we are always sweet, we are always nice. But more importantly, my point here is... That change takes time. This parade has been going on since 1762. And it's only now, finally, in 2016, changed to uh, include LGBT people. So uh, don't lose heart, people. We got to keep fighting. Nothing changes overnight. But keep up the good fight. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn. To Jen Sanko, info on her film at thebrainwashingofmydad.com. If you missed any portion of our program today, you can download it or any other, as always, at bradblog.com or over at iTunes, where we hope you'll give us a good review. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey,